uh, to Trinity, and we are glad that you're here. As the video shows, this is Operation Christmas Child season, and if you have not collected a box, you can do so at the back table on your way out after the service, or you can give online, either through our website or through Operation Christmas Child's website at Samaritan Purse. Uh, Those are opportunities for us to continue a longstanding tradition here at Trinity, and uh, and we just trust the Lord that he will bless those boxes um, in the lives of those children and those families and communities uh, throughout the world. Children already have left before I finish my little sweet intro. And, and so as we have now been turning our attention to meaningful membership, we are now on to week two of that three-week series. And we're going to be considering the marks of the church. Last week, we talked about the message of the church, the gospel, which brings about a gospeled people, that through the message of the church, people get saved, and the churches are started and strengthened, and how exciting the power of the gospel at work in our lives is. And now we get to see more of the marks of the gospel at root and at work in our hearts and in our lives as a church. If you have a Bible, open up your Bible to a smaller letter in the New Testament, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We're going to read verses 2 through 10 of that opening chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 2, and we're going to read through verse 10. As we're reading through this, consider just the nature and description of what's being said of this church, these marks that are evident here, and hopefully will be an encouragement to us this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 2. We give thanks to God for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. God, as we take a moment to think and hear and receive your word, we pray that you would be with us. God, would you work in our hearts and encourage our church? God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Through the power of his grace, God shows off through the church. By means of his grace, God is showing off to the world all around through the church. And in the culture and structure of the church, 
We go about showing off God's grace. We go about showing off God's grace. And that's, that leads us to consider the marks of the church as we've been considering meaningful membership. What does it look like to belong here together at Trinity? We've, as we said already, started with the message of the church. Now we're talking about the marks of the church. And the marks of the church are really twofold. They're all centered around grace. Grace, the grace of God, the God of all grace. First, we consider that the marks of the church are first grace magnifying. They're making much of grace. Whatever it is that we consider makes up a church, it should be magnifying the grace of God in its culture and structure. And then secondly, the other side of that coin is that as they're magnifying the grace of God, the marks of the church are applying the grace of God. They're grace applying in the culture and structure of the church. So when we think about what is a church, what makes up a church, we need to understand that it is first and foremost the overflow of God's grace. And it's something that we make much of and we apply. We want to be a people committed to making much of grace in the life of the church. We want to be that. And as we consider it today together, we need to take into account some things about the church in Thessalonica. The church in Thessalonica was a church plant. It was a small church plant in a community that had a very entrenched sort of Greco-Roman culture. It was a, a small church in an overwhelming culture. But, but guess what? Thessalon the first letter and the second letter to the Thessalonians outside of Philippians are Paul's most affectionate ones. He cares deeply about them because he knows that they are sweet people, who love Jesus, make much of the gospel, and they need encouragement. And as we consider meaningful membership, as we consider what it looks like to belong together here at Trinity, my hope is that you would also share in that description that we would be sweet people who love Jesus, make much of the gospel, and need encouragement. That's the context of this letter. It's the context of the church in its history it's our context today. And so let's take into account the encouragement that we get from this opening description. It's really actually one very long sentence that we read. And from that we find that there are marks of the church. And they are to be grace magnifying and grace applying. Grace magnifying and grace Applying. So first, grace magnifying and culture, in the culture of the church. There are two things that we can say just out of the gate right away, that we want a church that is God-saturated, and we want a church that is life-transformative, that we are all about who God is and what God has done and what that means to our lives in our culture and structure, and as a result, there is significant, real, eternal life change that occurs in our lives and the lives of others who get to be a part of this church family. We want to make much of God, and we want to see that making much of God bring about life change in us. God-saturated and 
life transformative. So let's consider first the God-saturated aspect of magnifying grace in the culture of a church, that these would be marks that describe us here at Trinity. First is, the letter starts off with grace to you, in verse 1, which we didn't read, of course. Good job, Sean. But grace to you, and then unpacks what that looks like. And it starts first and foremost, that grace magnifying focus and philosophy of ministry is decidedly God-saturated. It's decidedly and purposefully saturated with a focus and intention on God. Just in our verses that we read, 13 times God is referenced. Not counting two personal pronouns that are associated to him, so perhaps maybe we should just say it's 15 times. But from verse 2 through verse 10, there are 13 times that God is the focus. So what we can say is that there is a God-centeredness to Paul's encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, which means that for the church here right now, that that one of our marks in a grace-magnifying way is a God-centeredness. As you just sort of cast your eye through that in your Bible, or if you look back later, there are some things here that we find in this God-centeredness. God receives our prayer and praise. God actively loves us, and that love has led to His choosing us. Our faith is therefore centered on God, and our repentance is a turning to Him, the one true God. And all of this has come to us by means of God's Word. Just in that paragraph alone, there is a clear and unmistakable, unescapable, grace-magnifying focus on, the, on God being center for the church. We also find Christ at focus in our passage. And in this way, we could say that it is Christ-exalting. It's God-centered and Christ-exalting. Christ is the heart of our faith, love, and hope. Our manner manner of living is to be shaped to our Savior. Our good news that is sounding forth from our lives is good news of Jesus. Our future glory is tied to our returning Savior who has conquered death, and we get to share in that victory. Can't read this passage and come away with it, not having a, a growing grip in your heart for Jesus. And thirdly, we find that not only is it God-centered and Christ-exalting, it is also spirit-relying. In our passage, we find that our reception of the gospel is because of the power of the Spirit at work in us and our joy in experiencing the life that we have been rescued to is the outworking of the power of the Spirit within us, therefore making us a people who are to be spirit relying. Grace magnifying mark of the church is to be God saturated. And all of this we have in God because of His grace. And that grace is to shape our culture our approach to life together, our approach to the philosophy of ministry, our approach to how we go about church. 
the overflow of grace, that we would make much of this. For this is what God has done in our lives. Even as we flub and fail and flounder. There is a grace for us in God. To be loved by him, to be known by him, to be empowered by him to live this life that he has rescued us to. And that we should be a people, a church that magnifies that grace to one another. Even in our flubs and failures and floundering. Because that grace that we magnify is not only God saturated, but it is to be life transformative. Life transformative. Look again at verse 9. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul rejoicing and reminding and encouraging them, reminded them of how their lives were radically rescued. That they experienced a life transformative work of God's grace in them, bringing about, first and foremost, a radical repentance. They turned away from idolatry by turning to the true God, the true and living God. That this radical repentance, this significant change, wasn't just that they woke up and decided, I'm done with T-Mobile, I'm going to go over to Verizon now. There was something so deep in them that has been awakened and so, so stirring in them that they tossed aside all the other things that dominated the way they looked at life and lived it out and, and set them aside, embracing them no longer to hold on to the living and true God and, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. We are talking about a radical repentance, a radical turning away from going down a dead-end street to now going down this path of life. And the nature and character of God's grace in their lives was to be championed. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He is championing the nature of God's grace to bring about something in them that they would never have done on their own. That is to mark the church. That as we are being God-centered and saturated in who we are, what we're about, what we sing about, what we talk about, how we encourage each other, as, as we are seeing God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit at work in our lives, as we're holding that up and out to one another, we're seeing our lives being radically changed. And all of this is to magnify the grace of God. Because the grace of repentance in you is evidence that God is at work in you. Because repentance is you doing something you wouldn't have otherwise ever wanted to do, let alone have the ability to do, unless God had already poured out His grace in you. And so we get to celebrate that. We get to rejoice in that. We get to magnify that. This isn't about setting up a program that helps each other clean up a little bit of the mess of our lives, uh, otherwise good life. It's about recognizing and rejoicing over the radical rescue from death to life, from false to true. 
that the church is to be marked with lives that went from dead to alive, from false to true. And that magnifies His grace. And that radical repentance goes on to a radical living. That is something very different than the way we lived before God's grace so impacted our lives. The the Thessalonians were examples of this to the region. They were examples to all those around them. What were they examples of? Well, first, they were examples of their faith in God. They received the gospel and trusted God with joy, even in difficult circumstances. So their faith in God was an example to the region. And their witness to the grace of God, their magnifying of the grace of God through their changed lives was sounding forth. The gospel of, of, of grace, this grace of radical repentance sounded out of them as well as their faith in God. It was evident. It was what they were known for. They believed and trusted God and they loved Jesus and they made much of the gospel. That's some that's radical change in living. And the grace of radical repentance is magnified in the radical living of those rescued by Christ. And the church is to be marked by a joy-filled magnification of the God of all grace in its culture. And the culture of the church is to be one of grace, since grace has brought the church about. That means meaningful membership is committed to the characteristic of a God-saturated, word-based, gospel-centered mark of the church. That we would be committed to that because that is what brings everlasting life to our otherwise dead lives. The danger is that something else would shape the culture of our church. Something other than God's grace. The danger is to see some other thing or idea or philosophy grip a church and become the thing that shapes the culture because whatever shapes the culture is championed by the church. So my challenge to myself is, is as I look at this passage, is, as I wrestle with it as a pastor, is what do we want to be known by? But I can't wrestle that question alone. That's a question that needs to be wrestled by Trinity. What do we want to be known by? What do we want to be known for? What is it that people want to be able to say about Trinity? Wouldn't it be great if they were able to say, whether they're churched or not, that, hey, those people are real, they seem to really love Jesus, and they make much of God's grace. What if that characteristic is what we would be known for in our region and in our community? What if people were always encouraged when they interacted with us because we were busy magnifying the grace of God, not only in what we said, but in how we lived as a church family? I find that very compelling. 
I find that as a, as a, a, a goal to strive for and labor for, to work and labor and have steadfastness in. But it's, it's in all of us. If we're committed to this church family, it's all of us, all in, doing this, striving and imperfectly, yes, but purposefully with the gospel by power of God's grace at work in and through us. That is what I hope we are known for. That we would be busy magnifying the grace of God in and through our church family. Secondly, we find that it is not only grace magnifying, it is also grace applying. It's making much of the God of all grace and the grace of our God but is also applying that in our lives. And there are two ways that jump out here in our passage. The first is in intentional discipleship. There was purposeful following Jesus in the life of this church. They were doing that together, and they were doing it on purpose. And then secondly, we find that there's servant leadership dynamic within the culture and structure of the church so that it helps foster intentional discipleship and following after Jesus. So marks of the church should be one where God is made much of and lives are changed. And then that changed life is growing in its changedness. And there are more and more of us serving and leading and leading as we serve. That that would be characteristic of of the church, filled in the church. So first one we find is intentional discipleship. Grace applied to our lives leads to continued growth. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we say anything else, Look what we find here. We are to be a praising, praying, proclaiming people. Paul is praising God for the evidence of grace in their lives. He's praying that there would be more of that grace in their lives. And the people are proclaiming and sounding forth this incredible God that we have. In church history, it's long been said that that the key marks of the church are the preaching of the word and the gospel, the prayer and the praise of the people. You could strip everything else away, but you have those things, you have the church. And we find that here in those first two verses. But then we also find two important triplets right next to each other, describing each other, if you will. We have faith, love, and hope. And with them, we have work, labor, and steadfast. It's very important we see these things here. Uh, this small little church was committed to intentional discipleship. Well, first we find faith, love, and hope. Six other times in Paul's letters, he uses those three in some sort of grouping. Sometimes it's faith, love, hope. Sometimes it's faith, hope, love, etc. But he uses those as somewhat of a, a shorthand for the experience of God's grace in our lives. as evidence of what God bringing to us what we don't deserve and could never earn. It's getting to the heart of the experience of the Christian life is the experience of faith and love and hope in our lives. Now note, with that, we find the words work, 
labor, and steadfast. So another way to understand steadfast would be perseverance. Work, labor, and steadfast all speak to the same thing. Growth in living out our discipleship. Intentional, purposeful pursuit of growing in our lives in Christ. And each one speaks to increasing, say, intensity, if you will. You start with the word work, work of faith. Work is just the ordinary word for work. And so it's just going to have, you know, normal resistance that is associated with work. You have a, some project to do at your house over the weekend. You know, it's work. You kind of mumble or grumble a little bit about it. But it's just ordinary work. And we see the word labor, and that brings with it a little bit more intensity, a little bit more resistance, requiring a little bit more motivation and determination and intentionality on our part. And then the third word there for steadfast or perseverance is even more resistance requiring more intentionality. Grace applying marks of the church help us to see the role of intentional discipleship in our lives and know that it brings about purpose and excuse me, intentionality together on our parts. A church with a culture of magnifying the grace of God is also to be structured so as to help apply the grace of God to our rescue lives. That, that our lives now, for those who know Jesus, trust in His life, death, and resurrection for salvation, that our lives are now one in which we are working and laboring and, and persevering together in knowing God and reflecting His grace and growing and knowing Him and reflecting His grace. I love Second Peter 3.18. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The implication is no one in here has arrived. If you have arrived, you're dead, you're not here, you're in glory. So that means no one in here, I, I, don't, I may have put somebody to sleep, but I don't think I put anybody dead. So every one of us in here have not arrived. The life we're called to is to be lived out purposefully. We grow in knowing who God is, what God has done, what that makes us, and how that shapes us. We help each other do that and pursue that. We, we help each other do that and pursue that. On Sunday mornings when we gather together like what we're doing right now, this plays a role in our intentional discipleship. Or the hour before this, when we are in our various classes, maybe we're reading Philippians, or maybe we're gathered with other ladies in the ladies' Uh, study, or maybe we're helping students and, and, and kids better understand who God is and what God has done. Or maybe it shows up in the way that we help one another during the course of the week, whether it's Wednesday night with our student ministry, or maybe it's one of our life groups that meets, or maybe it's serving in the food pantry, but, but doing so with the opportunities to connect with other people and encourage them 
Maybe it's gathering on a Friday morning with others in your stage of life. And, or maybe it's met during the course of the week when you are meeting with someone at a coffee shop as you're reading through the Bible together and encouraging each other and praying together. It shows up in these ways. But what needs to show up is intentionality to better know and reflect the God of all grace and the grace of our God takes all of us to do that. And so meaningful membership is a commitment to this. It's a commitment to magnify the grace of God and to apply the grace of God. And it also requires servant leadership. It requires leadership, not just in position, but in character. There's an important word in our passage that refers to this, and that is the imitating of others. Look again at verses 6 and 7. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul positively states that they imitated him and the other missionaries who arrived with the gospel and started the church. This means several things for us. One, the church is certainly to have and follow a certain kind of leadership. So follow what? Well, they imitated how Paul lived among them and served them, and how he made the gospel primary, and how he suffered, or at least labored, and and persevered with joy. And so they started to reflect that in their lives. It also means that leading in the church is weighty, as it implies those who who are following who are leading are also following Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So if, this is somewhat said in jest, if you're a narcissist, ministry is not for you because ultimately you may want people to imitate you, but you got to be imitating Jesus. So you're wanting people to imitate you dying to self and living to Christ. But that character is to spill out over and over and over in the life of a church. It's to mark our church more of Christ's likeness in the servant leading within the church. And this isn't also just the church, but the whole structure of the church is to model before each other what we are to do. Later in this letter, in verse 14 of chapter 2, we find that that they became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And so as we set forth good example, we follow that as we follow Christ. But it comes with those who serve in their leading. At Trinity, we have a plurality of elders. You see them come through as they lead us in prayer on Sunday mornings and hopefully see them in your lives throughout the course of your weeks and months. We have trustees who lead by serving. We have staff. We have ministry leaders uh, that are all serving by leading and leading by serving so that we can all magnify and apply God's grace together. But it's not just their responsibility but, but whole churches are to embrace that and follow that and do the work together. Over the last few months, I've been able to drive around parts of our country, and I've noticed a couple of things in, in very striking ways here and in other regions. 
just about everywhere I've been, there have been signs in just about every kind of business. Now hiring. Help wanted. Aggressive starting pay. It's everywhere and it's impacting. I would even say it's a little bit of a quiet pandemic. It's impacting things that you would never have realized. I was visiting with family in Ohio and we had a very busy day going to various hospital visits and whatnot. And we wanted to pop in to grab a bite to eat at a well-known nationally established restaurant and they were closed from two to five because they did not have a workforce. Closed. Just like that. And maybe around town you've experienced that as well. Some, some modifications to the way that businesses are conducting themselves because for whatever reason, we are facing and experiencing a lack of a workforce. But you know what was true of that visit at that closed restaurant was people arrived expecting and wanting and were frustrated when it wasn't there. When I look at this opening chapter, we find that the Thessalonians were sounding forth the gospel, sounding forth faith in God, sounding forth a work of faith, a labor in love, a steadfastness of hope. They were not waiting and expecting. They didn't have all the resources. They didn't have all the bells and whistles. They were just sounding forth the grace of God in and through their church, intentionally, purposefully, together. So that is our charge. Maybe we have come wanting and expecting. Perhaps that's the wrong perspective. Maybe the perspective should be, how can we sound forth how awesome God is? How can we sound forth how sure His grace is? How can we sound forth how much joy there is in intentionally following Him together? May that mark our church now and in the years ahead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We ask that you would help us to make much of it in our lives and in our church family, that we would be desiring all the more to be committed to this together, that these marks who you are, the nature of your grace, its power in our rescued lives, all of this would be evident in us and through us to your glory, to our good, and to the good of others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.